Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. This is the first of a three-part series titled, God Did What? In a land far, far away, in a time long, long ago, God Okay, so there was no land or even a place. There was no time either, just eternity without beginning or end. But there was God. Because of God, we exist and now have a concept of place and time. But who is God and what does he want with us? What is he up to? There are age-old questions that are always current. My God family church story has been recounted to some degree in the earlier episodes of Grace Intersect. If you haven't heard them, please consider taking the time to listen to them as it will help make more sense of this episode, especially the first three. Recently, an acquaintance from my former church denomination discovered that our family was no longer a part of that organization. Her response of shock, disappointment, and even pain was evident. Her response also stirred in me emotions from a couple of similar experiences of when I was immersed in that denomination. Pulling from memories from what I think were my late preteens or very early teens, there were some older young people and young adults that I encountered mostly at biannual conferences. Even if I didn't know them well personally, by reputation they made an impact. They were some of those that I looked up to because they seemed to have their spiritual life all figured out. They seemed confident in their connection with God and the church. At some point during that time, I heard rumors, later confirmed, that one of those young adults I admired from a distance had left the church. He was the son of a well-respected leader in the church and someone who was destined to leadership himself. This was quite a shock. Actually, bombshell might be a better description. It was certainly distressing and confusing. How could this happen to someone like him? During this time, many in the church believed and taught that our denomination was the only true church. To leave it was to bring one's spiritual destiny into serious doubt. And yet, this happened. Not to some average church attendee, but to a prominent church family. It was more than just disappointing. It didn't make any sense. This was a hard loss. It was a death of sorts. The reactions of the adults around me seemed to range from shock to confusion to judgmental anger to grief. Some seemed to think it was a temporary thing while others were willing to condemn him to hell. I never did know what his reason was for leaving the church and I don't know what his spiritual life was like then or since. Somehow I have a vague memory of hearing that he experienced a lot of rejection and pain for his decision and didn't feel welcome anymore. Not long after that experience, maybe just a couple or so years, another influential young adult, another son of a pastor, also left the church. Perhaps because of the first instance, the impact on me wasn't quite as shocking, but it certainly was unexpected. My dad and this man's father were pretty good friends. While they didn't seem to understand how the son could leave the church, it did seem like they were continuing to have a relationship with him. Again, my response was one of confusion, disappointment, and a bit of grief. Again, I didn't know his reasons for leaving the church. So when our acquaintance from our former denomination discovered that we were no longer part of it, 
her reaction was very understandable. Paula and I were heavenly invested in the church growing up, and people could reasonably expect that we would never leave, especially for theological reasons. While it may have seemed sudden to some, it was a many years long journey. Here's a sketch of how it happened. We all have significant questions for which we seek reasonable answers. Is there a God? If so, what is God like? What does God have to do with me? Where, how do we find answers to these and more similar questions? As has been shared in previous episodes of Grace Intersect, I believe there is reasonable evidence that there is a God, that God is love, that God is creator, and that God desires a love relationship with his crowning creation, we humans. I also believe that evidence strongly suggests that the Bible is God's message for humans, and that by definition, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Though the Bible was compiled over thousands of years, it provides a consistent message of who God is and what God has to do with us. This isn't a God of our own making. Rather, this is a God revealed through the Bible story. The God of the Bible we probably wouldn't make up. Why? Well, our fallibility limits our concepts of God. Unfortunately, our fallibility also gives us opportunity to misinterpret and twist the truths of the Bible. However, we all have the free will to examine the evidence and to make the choice to believe or deny. What follows is some of my understanding of what the Bible explains about God and what God wants with you and me. Hopefully, it flows and makes sense. Hopefully, you are inspired by it. The word gospel means good news. What follows is gospel. The first section is, The beginning came with a plan of love and grace. To start with, I've taken the liberty to blend parts of the first chapter of Genesis and the first chapter of the Gospel of John. They both start with the same phrase, in the beginning. For those reading from the graceintersect.com website, Genesis is in italics and John is in plain text. By the way, all Bible quotes in this three-part series are from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Here goes. In the beginning, God was the Word, and God created the heavens and the earth. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness. And apart from Him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw that all he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus is part of who God is and what God does. He has always been and always will be. He is life. Jesus created us in his image. He blessed us. He wants communication with us. He thought we were a very good creation. Though Jesus is a spirit, physical humans were obviously created to be in a good and loving relationship with God, with Jesus. He is gloriously good. He is grace. 
He is truth. 1 John 4.16 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. This is God. God is love. Jesus is love. God loves us. He has revealed his love for us, to us, and desires to blend together with us. But true love requires free will. And the time came when humans made some bad decisions. Bad choices damaged their perfect relationship with God. Recognizing their guilt and shame, they tried to hide from God. But God didn't want the relationship to die. Genesis 3, 8, 9, and 21 says, Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God created us enough like him to be in loving relationship with him. So even after the human creation messed up, God pursued and cared for them. There would be consequences. Imperfection obviously leads to negative consequences. But a loss of love and relationship wasn't one of them. The relationship would change, but not God's love. In fact, God actually knew the cost of free will would result in imperfection. And he had a plan to deal with it in a way that would allow for continued loving relationship. Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 6 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Before heaven, earth, and humans were created, Jesus knew what would happen, that we humans would become imperfect, and that we would need his love and grace to save us from ourselves. His plan was already in place. His love for us was greater than the pain of our imperfections, even though those imperfections were increasingly bad. This section, From Bad to Worse to Worser. Once imperfection hit, it snowballed into increasingly worse corruption, evil, and violence. Genesis 6, 5, 9, 11 through 12 says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For humanity had corrupted its way upon the earth. How awful, atrocious, abominable can people be? Very. But Noah was the exception. He believed in God and had a good relationship with him. Noah certainly wasn't perfect. The biblical account of his life makes that perfectly clear. But God had mercy on Noah, 
and his family, while justly destroying those who didn't believe or care enough to have a relationship with God. This section, God finds another one who believes. Unfortunately, the chance for humans through Noah and his family to start fresh with God didn't result in a long-lasting love relationship. After many generations, people again populated the earth, and with their presence came their corruption, evil, and violence. This time, God extended mercy, grace, and great promises to one who believed in him, Abram, who would later be called Abraham. Genesis 12, 1-4 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went away as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Genesis 15.6 says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram was one who believed in God and his promises and followed him. Did you catch that God counted this belief as righteousness? Again, God is looking for his crowning creation to be in loving relationship with him. He converses with Abraham. He encourages him, guides him, makes incredible promises to him, helps Abraham to know himself and God better. As the Bible record makes plain, Abraham commits some serious mistakes in judgment, attitudes, and actions. But God continues to extend mercy and grace to him. Why? Because Abraham wants to be in relationship with God. This section, God to the Rescue Again this time through Moses, and the people make a promise. The family of Abraham, called Hebrews, lived in Canaan until a famine hit. They went to Egypt, where God had prepared the way for their survival. However, over the course of many fruitful generations, Egypt turned into a place of slavery for them. Exodus 2.23 says, And the sons of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage ascended to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God called an Egyptian-raised Hebrew named Moses to help rescue and return the Hebrews to Canaan. Moses wanted to know how to identify God to the Hebrews. God said it all when he called himself, I Am. Exodus 3.14 And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Once again, God is showing his love to them, his desire for relationship, his mercy and grace. God freed the Hebrews from the rule of Egypt, and they began their journey back to Canaan, the land God had given Abraham and his descendants generations before. Exodus 19, 4-8 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. 
So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. On the journey to Canaan, God offered Moses the opportunity for a covenant relationship, much like a marriage, to be established between God and the Hebrews. This covenant included laws by which the Hebrews would be governed. They had seen the power and the miracles of God and the faithful leading of Moses. Exodus 24.7 says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it as the people listened. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. They committed themselves to the covenant. But the real question is, Did they commit themselves to a relationship with God? This section is, Promises not kept, God disrespected. Numbers 14.11 And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people be disrespectful to me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs that I have performed in their midst? It wasn't long before the people had failed their part of the covenant. On the brink of entering their promised land, their belief, attitudes, and behaviors violated their commitment to the covenant. Most didn't seem to want a love relationship with God, so he determined that most of them deserved to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness. It was about 1,500 years from the time the Hebrews entered Canaan to the time of Jesus. All during this time, God had an up-and-down relationship with them. There were some good times and a lot more bad times. Soon after the resurrection of Jesus, one of his followers, Stephen, spoke to a large group and reviewed their history, reminding them that they didn't fulfill their part of the covenant. Acts 7 verses 51 through 53 You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the Righteous One, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of Him. You who received the law as ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. Stephen showed them, through a history they all knew, that God's people didn't want to have very much to do with their God. They were a nation of laws, rules, and religious systems, but they resisted God for relationship and couldn't follow His law. Imperfection cannot make itself perfect. This section, The Ultimate Promise During those 1,500 years, through a couple of his prophets, God said a change of covenant would be coming. This was the plan from the beginning of creation we noticed toward the beginning of this episode. This plan is to be the ultimate redemption for human creation, and it allows us to be fully, perfectly, and eternally reconciled with our Creator. Jeremiah 31-32 through says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. In Ezekiel 36-26 it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Wow, 
the old would be completely replaced and no longer have any spiritual consequences. The new covenant would not be like the old. The new would include a new heart and spirit from God himself. The new would be a perfect God, graciously giving perfection of heart and spirit to those who wanted a love relationship with him. This concludes number one of a three-part series titled, God Did What? Thanks for listening. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know that your thoughts and questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.